Well, here we are. This is the Sitcom Club. Speaking, hey, home and can't call. Joining me. Am I? Oh, uh, Dr. Christian Troy. Hello. How you doing? Yeah, all good. Uh, well, a, a little bit uh, stuffed. Stuffed? Stuffed. Oh, yeah, you've been visiting perhaps Domino's Pizza or maybe the Burger King? Uh, well, I I know you, you have a slight obsession with burgers of the monarch... monarch Burgers of the monarchy variety. No, I've got an obsession but, with Monarch of the Glen, the popular drama series of yesteryear. Did they have their own burgers? Well, I never actually saw Tom Baker consume a burger in it, but I suppose it could have happened. I think we need, we need to bring people up to scratch here, because, just to explain, before we started a recording just now, you were just going to tell me what you are going to tell me just now. And I said, no, let's save it, let's save it for the recording. Just seconds prior to that, you told me that you were going to get Diet Coke, for some inexplicable reason, I called you a pervert in response to that. That was mainly because I am a Pepsi addict. I'm going to open my Pepsi right now. There it is. Pepsi is now open. Just to point out, we don't actually have a sponsor yet for the sitcom club, so if anybody from PepsiCo of America is listening, your gracious host here is something of a Pepsi addict and gets for a hell of all of these cans every single day, specifically the Pepsi Max variety. So if you want to send a huge crate and what have you, then I'd be very happy to crowbar references to Pepsi in uh, each episode. I'm just going to have a swig of it just now. Ah, oh, lovely. So yes, there we are. So you've got your, your weak Diet Coke drink, is that right? Yes, and incidentally, if anyone from the Coca-Cola uh, Club, as, as they're now known, a bit like the Mickey Mouse Club, except with uh, with more lives ruined, I would uh, like at this point to say that I'm very fond of um, Diet Coke, and subsequently, uh, yes, I I, uh, I I can't get enough of uh, refreshing, nice, cool, refreshing Diet Coke. There is no way that I am lending my name to any podcast which is associated with the coca-cola company nothing against them fine corporation but as a dedicated follower of fashion no as a dedicated pepsi drinker i just i couldn't i, I would feel like i was dancing with the the devil in that respect pepsi and shirley oh yeah is i don't i can't help but get the impression there was a missed opportunity there at least for one of them <laughs> I don't. I don't know if Shirley was a was a weak drink that was just sort of <laughs> hoisted out, and then to Pepsi and Shirley, and everyone was like, "Oh well, everyone everyone drinks Pepsi," is what I've heard. It should have been Pepsi um, and Shandy, surely. Pepsi and Shandy, or Pepsi and R Whites. Now, speaking of Pepsi and Shirley, that then brings us on to Laverne and Shirley. Yes. So you were saying uh, you're stuffed. <laughs> I, yes. Uh, speaking of speaking of Laverne and Shirley, I am stuffed, and. It's because Cabris has released a variation of fusions. And one of them, I have had a few in the last couple of weeks. And so the other what, one what I discovered is, what today. Is, what is this thing called? What is it called? Well, it's a big old slab of Cabris chocolate, but... Oh, I've seen, yes, I've seen this. This is the thing that's got like the, the jelly beans and what have you questioned to it. Is that right? Oh, no, 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 no. They're, 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 they're the smaller bars. They are. They do exist. There's also like a cookie crumble one of those as well. But, no, 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 no. These 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 are, uh, are um, like proper normal slabs, like, you know, um, the next size up. And so imagine like a normal standard slab of Cadbury's, except they fused it with Oreos. Ah, uh, okay. And because the other one they did, which might not sound appealing, but it went down well today and yet to come back up, is Cadbury's 
chocolate with strawberries and cream. Quite rich. But the what one that I'm interested... Is branded thing or something, is it? I guess so. I mean, imagine dropping that... To be fair, though, imagine dropping either of those in, like, a slab of that into a blender with some ice cream and some milk and making, them, like, a nice proper milkshake. That'd be rich chocolatey, strawberry, or Oreo-y if you wanted to... You know, a bit of a devil. I've but never, the know, one... I've, never, I've never been on the Oreo bandwagon. That's a funny thing. I know people absolutely rave about it, but I've never it's never been a big thing of mine. Friends of mine from, from the States, a friend, Benzo, I think he brought over some Oreo cookies at one point, and I'm thinking, yeah, they're okay, but I mean... Nah, nah. Well, how about the one that someone told me about today? Because apparently that it hasn't stopped there. Apparently there's another one that I'm yet to see. And it's it's very much one of those things where I do like it when you discover something, you know, whether in, in the supermarket or a DVD that you didn't know had come out and you, and you sort of pick it up and you go in the middle of the shop, the rumours were true. And uh, I'm anticipating that reaction when it is confirmed to my face that apparently there is a Cadbury's fusion with popcorn. A uh, butter kissed? No, it's just the way I walk. Hey. Yeah. Um, um, no, no, apparently it is. It's, it's like a chocolate bar, but with crispy bits of popcorn. In. Okay, but that still doesn't explain why you are drinking Diet Coke, like on a Diet Coke break, like in that advert, and you're not drinking Pepsi, which is, you know, like the the drink that all like the, the hip mountaineers drink in the adverts. Because Diet Coke has the guarantee that you'll be bombarded by friends and relatives who know you drink Diet Coke on a, not an addictive basis, but on a relatively regular basis. They don't care about your alcohol problem at all. Um, but instead, they, they do like to bombard you with little things like, oh, it can cause depression. And uh, it can, and also you can get ill from rat urine that has been left stained on the cans and you're drinking from the can and therefore you oh. might die from it. Like, yeah, that's, genu- oh, no, that's only if the, if, if the shop in question had dubious storage facilities and actually had loose cans being stored on the floor and then presumably had rats and then there were rats running over and pissing all over them. I mean, surely if you get them in a six-pack that's contained within plastic and they're on shelves like they're supposed to be in the, in the back room, then that kind of thing doesn't happen. Exactly. And then when that post is put up on Facebook, you're tagged in it as if left for people to assume that you're a dirty man. Yeah, yeah. No, I've I've had this. A, a friend of mine has got a bit of a bee in his bonnet about artificial sweeteners, uh, and how he's not a big fan of them. And yeah, he often sends me things and says, "Ah, look at this." And he sent me one thing a few months back, and it was this supposed groundbreaking article. It was like, you know, oh, here's the truth at last about artificial sweeteners, and it was complete and absolute bollocks. It was basically taking some facts that were unrelated to the subject in hand and saying here is you know one plus two equals three in that particular sphere therefore everything that we're saying here about artificial sweeteners is true but they weren't actually citing any of their own statistics about what they were talking about and it was bollocks but yeah i got tagged in that as if you know if i didn't stop drinking the pepsi it was going to be on death's door yeah i'm still here I, I, i mean i'm not saying they're good or a bad thing but for goodness sake there are so many worse things out there. And as Stephen Fry says in a particular sketch in a bit of Fry and Laurie, everything's bad for you. Everything, you, you know, you, you twat. <laughs> so you think he's, uh, doesn't he say something like that? He says, too much, drinking too much waters for you. Um, <laughs> you know what, now, okay, I'm not going to do myself any favours here, but I was so close, and I'm going to do it now anyway, but I was so close to potentially committing the stupidest sentence ever said to a podcast. When you said Stephen Fry there, 
And bear in mind, I've got, I can see from where I'm sat right now, I've got all the Fran Laurie discs on the shelf. And I watched it at the time when it came out, and I watched it again when it was on Paramount Comedy in 2002, and really got to you know properly enjoy it that time and, and appreciate it for what it was. As soon as you said Stephen Fry there, I just had an image of him like hosting QI, so I'm thinking of Stephen Fry today, okay? I was about to say, I didn't know Stephen Fry was in Fry and Laurie. No, moving on, we should. <laughs> Which other fry could it be? <laughs> like, exactly! I realise that now, but just for that split second, it was like Stephen Fry uh, is like a person that was in some way not related to Fry and Laurie, the Fry of Fry and Laurie fame. He was a different person. I mean, that idea was only in my head for about half a second. But rather than just letting it pass, I've now gone and said it, and I've said it on the recording. It's guaranteed to be left in the recording now, and I feel like a bit of a plonker. I can't think of any other famous fries. Fries chocolate cream? Mm, not really a person, though. It's not a person. Okay, there's got to be... Oh, Barry, Barry Fry, Barry Fry, uh, football manager extraordinaire. I thought you were going to try and crowbar in Barry Fryer. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't It wasn't going to be uh, a pun worthy of... I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. No, it was not. Um, we should actually explain. Well, we were, we're sitting here, we're gabbing about chocolate and, 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 and soft drinks and so on. We should explain what the hell we're doing here. Because, as we've said, this is a sitcom club. And yet, in all this time that we've been speaking just now, we haven't actually mentioned any specific sitcoms. And the reason is, in case you haven't looked at the title in your podcatcher so far, this is the second instalment of our occasional mailbag. And earlier on today, we were soliciting for questions and queries and all sorts from... Uh, yourselves, the good listeners of the sitcom club, and we had some nice bits and pieces come in on Twitter. So what I'm going to do, DCT, is I am going to pull these out of the hat. It's not a literal hat, it's a virtual hat, and by that I mean it's some notes on Notepad in front of me on my PC. But the first point came from Simon Dunn. Thank you, Simon, for your questions earlier on today. Not a, there's not really a question so much as just a request. He requested that we discuss sorry with Ronnie Carpet. Now, we won't talk too much about that in this particular instance because I expect that we will actually cover that properly uh, as a full-on uh, podcast in the near future. But that sort of fits in with what Boggins Trophy and I were talking about last week because we were discussing Dear John. And there were characters in that where you could sort of take bits and pieces. You could take bits and pieces of Ralph. You could take bits and pieces of Kirk. And you could sort of put together a sort of composite Ronnie Carpet character in Sorry. But did you have any particular memories of watching Sorry yourself back in the day? I must admit, I'm not too familiar with Sorry. But on two counts, I could say I had an element of familiarity. One is the theme, which is funky. It's a, it's a superb theme, isn't it? Yes. Mm. It's kind of what sitcom characters should have sex to. I don't think that that is something that I wish to see. I'm not saying anything against Ronnie Corbett specifically, but I don't really want to see Ronnie Corbett getting down to it with or without Ronnie Hazelhurst's theme. More so because, given his character in that particular show, I'd be most concerned that his domineering mother was going to walk in the room at any point. Whilst he's squatting over a mirror. Well, I presume, hang on, I presume there was going to be somebody else with him. I wasn't suggesting, you know, any of that. I don't know if it's an urban myth, but the story that I've heard, and I think this is only sort of 
been told on the internet in recent years is that that particular theme was one that Ronnie Hazelhurst was commissioned to write for a proposed soap opera slash drama and it was supposed to be something that was quite sort of contemporary and was going to involve young hipsters and what have you in London and he came up with this very funky sort of reggae tinged theme. This is an official Sitcom Club podcast interruption. Before you all write in, tweet in and email in to correct Mooncat, don't worry, he's already been set right. Because of course we all know that while Ronnie Hazelhurst may have conducted an arrange to the sorry theme, the theme was actually composed by Gaynor Colburn and Hugh Wisdom. We now return you to the Sitcom Club already in progress. The show itself didn't progress and so he had this theme on the shelf and there it was and as it ended up it was used for sorry yeah and it's a theme which unlike I suppose a lot of shows is absolutely of its time for 1981 it's absolutely perfect it just captures the musical influences at that exact moment I remember mashing it up with the Miami Vice theme I say I did actually it was far more talented gentleman than I on Cooked and Bombed known as Sir Henry but it was for the benefit of the annual that we were putting together uh, an interactive annual and it really does mash up well that theme with Miami Vice but the other I thing was well it's it's you, I, you, I thought I'm shocked that you haven't. I thought you had. Why, why have you suddenly turned into Frankie Howard? Oh, 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 sorry, I just got stung by a bee. No, but the close your window for God's sake. You, you imply I have windows? Well, yeah, we you're, you're not in one of those rooms, are you? No, I'm. I'm. I might be outside, and it might be just. Be I have very... no idea what I meant by one of those rooms, but I wasn't thinking anything specific. I just meant literally a room without a window in it. That would have that would have been a less catchy title, a room, a room without, without a, window a window in it. Yeah, yeah, uh, it would have certainly knocked a rear window as a plot. That's for sure. Rear window, I. It's a strange. That's. I mean, that's an odd title, really. I mean, rear window, just looking out the back, would have been better. Yeah, that's a bit too literal, isn't it? It's not very catchy. Yeah, but rear window is is just. I mean, very much how like Vertigo, you have that scene where it's the dream sequence and it's all very vaginal. I said this much in a film studies class once, and it just went deadly silent. And I was like, well, how can you deny it? It's, well, just, I think it's just a big old fanny dream. I went deadly silent as soon as you said it just now. Probably to emphasise that point, when it comes to the editing process for this particular podcast, I may well insert a solid three minutes of silence as a response to that statement, just to put a full stop on it. More so, so that the audience can have a bit of a think about it and realise that it's true. As well as the fact that Rear Window is all about voyeurism. I mean, in a very literal sense. I mean, you can't deny that because it is a man with binoculars oohing through a, through a window. And that's... that's well, the... Yeah, okay, yes, but there is a reason for that because it then gets us onto... I was going to say the meat and two veg. No, the meat on the bones uh, yeah, of the, the plot itself. But it's not... No, but it isn't just him... Gopping through his binoculars um, at a sort of bathroom window or something like that. I mean, okay, initially he's taking interest in what's going on, but soon events sort of overtake. And I should point out also as well that there is a sitcom version of Rear Window in The Detectives, which somebody's actually just suggested recently online that we cover, and we will be covering The Detectives very soon. But yeah, there is a version of Rear Window, I think, with, I think it's Gareth Hunt and I think maybe Louisa Ricks is in it. I need to check that. But um, we'll put that one on the slate to review. 
Well, I would put it as a question to the listeners. Which Hitchcock film has been most homaged or ripped off or referenced in British sitcoms? Ah, well, am I allowed to enter this competition being well, I'm on the staff? It's more of a general query. I mean, sort of which examples can people think of? Because there are a lot of films, not just Hitchcock films, of course, but a lot of films that are spoofed, especially American sitcoms. But, yeah, British sitcoms, there are still references, but only very slightly more subtle, unless they're really going out for out-and-out obviousness. But um, I think in terms of references, I would have, I would have thought that the, the Hitchcock film most likely to be referenced would have been Psycho, because it sort of ended up as a shorthand for anybody who was suspected of being a you know, potential lunatic. People will throw out just the name Norman Bates, uh, a shorthand way to describe somebody that they think is a bit peculiar. But I wouldn't, of course, that's not quite a full-on homage, is it? It's actually kind of weird trying to think of any particular examples, though. I mean, not Hitchcock, but, for example, top of my head, the first reference, blatant reference to The Exorcist that I can think of is in an episode of So Haunt Me. That would make sense, yeah, given the topic in hand. Where it has a man, I believe, I don't think it is Ted Robbins, but it, it looks like someone well, who Ted, is. Ted Rogers. So anyway, Ronnie Corbett. That was a segue. So, <laughs> yes, well, the thing is about Ronnie Corbett is that... Well, there's two things, actually, about Ronnie Corbett. First of all, I bumped into him in Literally? Soho. I did, yes. And at the time, I was wearing some particularly thick retro uh, black glasses. Ones which I weren't particularly happy with, but uh, it was something of a deal I made with my father, isn't it? Um, he would go halves with me on the lenses if he could pick the frames. Okay, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about Arthur Asky or Eric Markham? We're talking the two Ronnies. Okay, right. Yeah. Ah, yes, 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 yes. And I bumped into him, and for a second, he almost like he looked at me as if I was a ghost of a former partner. <laughs> he looked a bit dilapidated because it had just been raining. He was wearing a lot of purple velvet, from what I can remember. I see. I just have interest. What were you doing in the uh, the Soho area? Because you see, the way that my way my mind works is because I don't live or work in London, like probably 99% of the listeners, as soon as you hear the word Soho, you think, oh, Soho is it? Soho shithouse, what are you doing there? But of course, there are more. there's more to Soho than this should be their marketing slogan. You say that, but I genuinely was there just to pick up octogenarian comedians. <laughs> that's That's kind of my thing now. I bumped into it. No, I will, to be honest. Well, when you say pick up, in the case of Ronnie Copper, that you like, you could have meant that literally. And we'll just thrown him into the road. Oh, I wasn't going to suggest there was going to be any nastiness about it. I was going to say you could, you could uh, pick him up and, and, you know, show him the view. What, of the first floor to see if it's worth paying for? <laughs> first floor window. Oh, what a nice decor. To be fair, um, in relation to what you're accusing me of, in relation to my... I never, I never said anything. All I said was, oh, so who is it? Oh, that's the I bit mean, you're I keeping. You, when I called you a pervert, that was in relation to you drinking Diet Coke, and I still haven't even worked that one out myself. But no, I wasn't suggesting that there was any kind of red light activity going on. Yeah, but for all they know, you might have edited out a slur, and they wouldn't know. I might, I might very well edit in a slur afterwards. Exactly, and make it uh, and then take of audio the... of you saying yes, absolutely correct. But in relation to that, I must admit, when you go past those ring top bell, open door, someone's name written in cardboard, spelt wrong, going model upstairs, 
to be honest, it's actually anyone who happens to be in Soho, and I'm sure there are a lot of people here, a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of listeners who uh, who could be walking through Soho right now. Uh, with their earphones or headphones. I would love in. that. I would, oh, I would love that. Honestly, honestly. Okay, right. We won't embarrass you or anything like that. I would just, I would love to hear from just one person if anybody legitimately is walking through Soho right now listening to this podcast. We won't name you, but, but just send us a tweet or an email or something to confirm that that's actually happened. That would be wonderful. Well, if you are, I, what I would suggest you do is have a look. When... A lot of people just sort of walk on because there's so much going on 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 the ground level. I mean, it's just so it is such a vibrant kind of busy area, and 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 everyone just seems to be having a bit of a laugh. It seems very relaxed. I think obviously everyone has a different experience of nightlife in London. I mean, there are parts of London which have a, a strange perception of being classy, but there's not really such a thing. It's just everyone just has a bit of a laugh, uh, and sometimes it can be really horrible, and sometimes it can be really nice. But anyway, a lot of people just focus on ground-level activity in Soho because there's so much going on, especially in sort of that of a weekend. But if you ever walk down certain streets and you look up to the windows, there's a particular road in question, actually. It's off the corner of where Jersey Boys is, and you walk down that road. It's like someone, it's like Dean Street or Frith Street or something like that. But anyway, you look up, and you can see... The windows, the first floor or second floor windows, where and it says open. It still has the original open flash sign and and the the old curtains. And this is sort of where people go up for a bit of close up procreation of the uh, proverbial and physical payment based orientation penetration circumstance. But I genuinely would happily go up to one of these first floors just to have a look at the decor. So you're telling me that you would go up to one of these places. Just to say, I wanted to check out the feng shui, or I'm thinking of getting some new wallpaper, I just wanted to have a look at yours. Well, I just get the impression that it's really retro up there. I'd get the impression that the wallpaper's never been changed, and they've still got the open sign. I mean, it's not like you're going to order on eBay, can I have a retro open sign for my escorting room? Well, no, the thing is, I think think there probably is a market for sort of retro signage and what have you there's probably there's probably places that specialize in that where I've, I've, i mean i don't know obviously but i've got a funny feeling that probably the decor of the places is just rather meh it's probably it's probably not going to look like an episode of man about the house and i'm not suggesting there's any episode of man about the house in which robin visits a brothel i'm just saying that it's not going to be garish and very full-on 70s and beige and, and, and what have you i don't i don't think it'd be like that at all it's probably just gonna be very drab I think it would be, you know. I, I really do think now. I, just to draw an example on this, and we, we I'm are... sorry, just, just I'm sorry, just to so just to interject one part of time. The point about the open sign is to get your attention. Whereas once you're in there, I mean, if you're in there and you're not, you're either staying or you're going. The wallpaper isn't going to swing you out away, is it? Well, no. You just pay them to sit there and look at the decor. Say, so get out, get out of the room. I'm having a look at. I, I will just. I just want some me time with the room. Well, if that's what you're into. Then there's nobody going to stop you, except it probably is. It probably is illegal, so probably somebody would stop you. But the open sign only grabs your attention if you know where to look, because it's on the first floor. <laughs> so, I see. Unless you're a giant, or unless you are from the carpet and you're being lifted up by yourself. Exactly. Let's just let's be very very clear about this. At no point have we meant to infer that Ronnie Carpet visits establishments in Soho. If he was there in Soho, it was almost certainly because he was doing voiceover work for one of the many fine advertising agency, and he was probably advertising something very wholesome, like those places that deliver the food, like he's doing just now. Probably nothing of 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 the ilk that you are thinking of. I can officially confirm that he actually wanders Soho aimlessly, because rumor has it that his big chair. 
was actually found in a skip and put in that of a brothel establishment for the benefit of a retro feel. And he, for years, has wandered the streets of Soho trying to discover where where this may be. He, he goes into these brothels with a photo, with a Polaroid photo of this chair, going, have you seen my chair? If that was true, if that was true, I know of several people, and I include myself in this as well, who would love to visit that place just to look at Ronnie Corbett's chair. And dare I say it, we would pay the surcharge to actually sit in Ronnie Corbett's chair. I'm not even being funny about that. Legitimately, if you know where Ronnie Corbett's chair is available and you have to pay to go and see it, great. Take me there, and I'll take Polaroids. Well, this is where I have to come clear, because when I was saying about, you know, I mean, the thing is, I actually know where it is, you see, and that's that's why I was saying. I you was... do not know where Ronnie Corbett's chair is, and if you do, then you're going to have to spit it out for the entire listening community right now. Well, that that's extra, and I know which particular brothel it was, and that's why I paid, when I was saying I want me in the room, uh, you know, just room time, it's more more because I could just sit in the chair. But to be, to be fair, I'll be completely honest, the, I mean, the room's quite small. And I, I get the impression that maybe the person who is in that room on a regular basis isn't limited to one person at a time, is all I'm going to say. And so I'm just saying it wasn't as pleasant as experience as I can imagine. I didn't find myself wanting to burst into monologue because all I could think about was what had happened in that room. And I have literally no idea what you mean there at all. I'm talking about. I think. I think. If you want me to be more clear, I'm basically saying. You no, know, I, I. No, honestly, I really don't. I quite urgently want to leave this topic of conversation. <laughs> because let's face it, all we're asked by Simon Dunn was, "Could you mention sorry the sitcom?" I don't think that at any point Simon had any expectations that we would be going to all these dark places and not in the Gareth Morangi sense either. I know, but I can say that all we can do, I can bring it round. You see, because what I can do is say. In regards to what we've just been talking about, sorry. Oh, dear me. Well, that's all from the second couple, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us, and see you next week. Not really. No, but Simon also had an additional query for us, and that was, do we have any plans to discuss US sitcoms at any point? Now, we don't, as a rule, discuss US sitcoms on the sitcom club are principally concerned with British sitcoms. However, the very keen-eyed among you will have noticed the Twitter handle, the sitcom club USA recently turned up, and we occasionally link to it, and that is in preparation for us doing some USA-related sitcom podcasts in the near future. Now, DCT, I know that you have been taking a very keen interest in one new-slash-old sitcom, which has recently made an appearance online. And Not On Your Nelly is now available... No, it is Arrested Development. I know one person who would be delighted if Not On Your Nelly was available on Netflix US. Or at all. It's not on normal Netflix, is it? No. (laughs) No, it's not even on television, for God's sake. Are there any network releases on Netflix? That seems like a missed opportunity. Ocho has advised me that the Arthur Lowe ecclesiastical sitcom Bless Me Father, which I think has been released by Network in the UK, was on Netflix USA up until relatively recently, which was an immense surprise to myself, but so understand it. Crikey. But I'm presuming the network's jurisdiction perhaps only goes as far as retailing in the UK. Uh, so that's not necessarily going to be anything to do with network themselves. Well, I mean, I could always point out that I'm severely looking forward to the Spitting Image Series 9 coming out on DVD by network. But 
in the meantime, what I will say is that Arrested Development, yes, has returned, and I'm going to be a little bit careful here, because I don't want to spoil it for the benefit of those who haven't got into it, or indeed gotten into the series as a whole yet. To be fair, it has been out. The original series ran its course in 2006, and now it's been resurrected, returned, with all the original cast for season four, exclusively on Netflix. Arrested Development on Netflix, it's season four, and structurally it's different to the original three series. It focuses on a different character for each episode, which, in a sense, brings out the best and the worst of those characters. And as a story, it's it's a big old jigsaw, and in that respect, it benefits hugely from having not just one watch, but several watches, if, if you're into that sort of thing. But that's, that's kind of what it's designed for. The fact that it's on Netflix, the fact that it was released in one go, it's generally not advised to watch it all in one go, but you have the option to, to have a bit of a binge, and, well, there's, there's nothing wrong with a bit of a TV fest. And with Arrested Development, it's it's no exception. Each episode is a piece of a jigsaw puzzle, and there's so much going on, not just in the forefront, but in uh, in terms of the plot and everything, but also in the background, so much else going on, which makes more sense when you've seen the whole series. So... To be honest, I, th- I would like to think that most people who are watching season four, of course, are big fans of the original series. I don't think anyone would have just willy-nilly come into season four. For one, it would just be incredibly confusing. It's one of those very solid series that if you miss an episode, you might just about get away with it. But generally speaking, it's so full of references and back references and, and in-jokes and everything else that it's not one that you would just tune into sporadically like say Frasier or Friends or something like that on on the comedy channel and in that respect it limits its own audience but for better I'd say than worse because that's what makes it special that's what makes it a a great series and with season four all I would say to those who haven't seen it yet who are anticipating to watch it at some point for one thing get Netflix don't download it illegally don't download it illegally. Just get Netflix. Yeah, support the show because if you, if you get it through the proper channels, and that means that there are going to be more of them. Yeah, and it's really not that much to get. And House of Cards is on there as well. It's not a comedy, and uh, well, unless you've got a dark sense of humour, but it's that's not bad either, really. But also, of course, for a fourth season, it is flawed in some respects. But I think anyone who is a big enough fan of the series. It's just nice to have them back. I think originally I was sitting there for the first few episodes not really laughing too much, but I was I was smiling because I was just pleased to be in the company of these characters again. And by the final episode, I was really glad to have indulged into that. I'm really glad they came back, and I hope, as I believe they intend to do, I hope it returns for another series and indeed a film. Not necessarily in that order, but um, fingers crossed. And if people haven't seen Arrested Development before, if they do sign up to Netflix to see Season 4, they will find all the previous episodes anyway. So of course. Presumably, you, as you say, you wouldn't start with Season 4, but you can start it from Season 1 on Netflix. And it's also running on Fox Channel in the UK now. Usually, sort of early hours in the morning, past midnight thereabouts, you can see Arrested Development on there on uh, lovely HD, which is very nice. And also, just to establish with that, is that in case you haven't seen any of the series at all, it is about a wealthy, dysfunctional family who are immersed into a less affordable lifestyle when the patriarch of the family, played by the wonderful Jeffrey Tambor, is put in prison for embezzlement of the Bluth company. The Bluths being the family in question, and the son, the responsible son, Jason Bateman, 
playing Michael, is the one man who tries to keep them all together. To elaborate on the other characters would perhaps give away a bit too much, but what I will say is that it's a great, quick and enjoyable pilot to learn everything you need to know to get into it. So about within a couple of episodes, you within a lot will be hooked. So I, w- I would say give it a go. Thank you very much, Simon, for your tweets. One other thing to say as well, you mentioned about doing comparison between step two and Son and Sanford and Son. We did previously cover Steptoe and Son in one of our earlier radio broadcasts. I think I'm right in saying that in the first of these mailbag shows, which I did with Ocho a few weeks back, I think Ocho actually refers to watching an episode of Sanford and having previously watched the, the Steptoe episode just beforehand. Um, so check that out if you can. But yes, I'm sure that we will actually, for the benefit of the, the podcast itself, we will come back to Steptoe in the near to moderately faraway future and i'm sure that we will include sanford and son in that as well big thank you to lapsed cat who sent us an absolute belter of a question and one that i'm really looking forward to getting into just now lapsed cat has asked us to give examples in uk sitcoms of chuck cunningham syndrome now the very fine tv tropes website tvtropes.org defines chuck cunningham syndrome thus If writers want to remove a character from their ensemble, they will either kill that character off or put him on a bus, or both, to explain their absence. Sufferers of Chuck Cunningham Syndrome, on the other hand, will simply disappear into limbo. They will often be retconned, that's retroactive continuity, right out of the story's history, whilst, of course, everyone still left on screen will simply carry on as before. Now, Chuck Cunningham, of course, is... Richie Cunningham's older brother, who was in the first series of Happy Days, and famously went upstairs, I think, to look for his basketball, and didn't come back. And when it talks about retroactive continuity, the example in terms of Happy Days is that Tom Bosley's character actually says in a late episode that he's so proud of his two kids. So Chuck Cunningham has actually been written out entirely, doesn't exist. Now, I'd argue to begin with that we do have a British Chuck Cunningham, and his name is Marty Storm. Marty Storm was the winner of the 1958 Elvis Presley Impersonator Contest at Maplin's Holiday Camp. And of course, we're talking about Heidi High. And in the pilot episode of Heidi High, there he is. There's Marty Storm, and he's played by Richard Cotton. And he is, you know, actually, obviously the height of... Elvis Presley mania. He is a sort of cut price Elvis for the benefit of the holiday camp. He then appears in one episode of series one, and that's it. Gone. Vanished. Never seen again, never referred to again. Now, whereas, for example, you might say that he's not as integral a part of the community as, say, Chuck Cunningham being Richie's older brother, so a family member. In Heidi High, of course, the staff of the holiday camp, they are a sort of family unit. And they've made a point of... He's not just a character fleetingly in the background in the pilot. He's introduced twice. So, you know, people are, are aware of his presence. They know who he is. And the fact that then he was brought back to be in the series itself just gives more of an air of curiosity about why it was that he disappeared. I'm sorry to say that my research efforts, as they were online this afternoon, have not uh, found a definitive answer as to why he disappeared. I've heard some people suggest that there were issues with relation to the rights 
to use Elvis Presley's lyrics, because of course he's an Elvis impersonator, so he's going to be performing Jailhouse Rock and what have you. I'm not entirely convinced by that argument myself, purely because Heidi High being a BBC sitcom, BBC, unlike commercial broadcasters, has pretty blanket agreement with regards to use of music and I think that unless he was actually changing the lyrics of the songs I don't think there'd be any problem with him actually singing all the songs in the show different matter entirely when it comes to DVD releases and what can get included within them but we'll talk about that uh, in the future but I don't necessarily think that that would have been a big problem in 1980 as far as airings on BBC was concerned and yeah, a lot of people are just speculating that perhaps there were just too many characters and that does happen on some shows. But yeah, no, it's it's a bit of a mystery. Richard Cotton himself has not disappeared like Marty Storm. He's quite a prolific writer now and most recently he's written some of the UK episodes of Wallander and written episodes of The Fall. He also wrote a sitcom called Tiger Road, which nobody remembers, with Kevin McAnally. And so maybe we will actually uh, pull that one off the shelf one day and discuss that. So if you do actually, if you know Richard Cotton, if you are in touch with him or you happen to bump into him and, and Soho or anywhere else, instead of asking him about The Fall or Wanda or any of the other successful shows that he's been involved in, could you ask him um, what happened to, to, to Marty Storm and why he's not there anymore? Not, not that, I mean, the holiday comes shut. Obviously, he's been shut for quite some time. But where did he go? I can't think of many examples, but I would say that it's easier to figure out who disappeared out of nowhere when you're looking at ensemble casts and ensemble pieces. So Heidi High as an example, but also maybe Alo Alo when you had Francesca Gonshaw playing Maria Recamier in, I believe, the first three series, only to then be posted off to Switzerland and never returning, which is just an odd concept anyway. But then it's it's that same thing of... It's a very strange thing when characters that the other characters are clearly hung out with and gotten well with, they just, eh, no, we're not going to talk about them again. I can't really think of many British ones. I mean, in terms of American ones, there was an example in Married with Children, which sprung to mind with, um, I believe it was a, an extra child who was something like uh, Peggy's sister's son, and, and he was just so irritating, they just got rid of him. <laughs> there, was no, there was no reference to him again. I can't really think of many examples like that though in British sitcoms. It's it's tricky. Well, I've got a couple to scribble down here from giving us a little bit of thought this afternoon. One of them that springs to mind is Solly Solomons, Bombardier Solomons in Eight and a Half Hot Mum, which was George Layton. And he was a fairly prominent member of the crew in the first two series. But then he, he disappears and the explanation is that he's simply been demobbed back to the UK. Before we started recording, Ocho suggested Private Bracewell, who was played by John Ringham in the very first episode of Dad's Army. And he is a sort of upper-class socialite type of character who volunteers for the Home Guard in the first episode. Quite similar, he's sort of a youngish version of Private Godfrey, who's also there. And so he disappears after the first episode. John Ringham himself does appear in Dad's Army later on as Captain Bailey, but we never see Private Bracewell again. In Series 6 of Dad's Army, Telford Thomas, a Welsh actor, came in and played Private Cheeseman, and he came in to make up the numbers following the death of James Beck. Private Cheeseman was a reporter who was sent along to be an embedded correspondent with the Home Guard, but he was only there for Series 6. I suppose you could say that he's an example of Chuck Cunningham syndrome. However, he was an initial cast member and 
whilst he was part of the platoon for that particular series, he wasn't a vital component, so to speak. Another one that sprung to mind was another son character. They always just get rid of the sons. They think, well, we'll get the family in, and then, no, no, the family's too big. Let's get rid of, let's just get rid of one of them. And in that respect, Mark Perrin, Reggie Perrin's son, as played by David Warwick only in the first series. This is true, this is true. Speaking of sons and daughters, this is not quite the same thing. It was something that we'd refer to uh, a couple of weeks back when we were talking about Not in Your Nelly. Not in Your Nelly being a sequel, but not an official sequel. Of course, Terry and June were uprooted from Happy Ever After, and for legal reasons, all the peripheral characters were lost, because they effectively had to become new people, even though they were still Ted and June, fundamentally the same characters. I suppose you could say that's more a sort of total reboot, rather than an example of Chuck Cunningham syndrome. A couple of ones that spring to mind. One that I was reminded of recently when they started to show the series from scratch on BBC Two is the character of Heslop in Porridge. Heslop being played by Brian Glover. The reason that I'd suggest himself is that the opening scene in the first regular episode of Porridge has the three new faces in the title, New Faces Old Hands. The new faces that come in are Fletcher, Godbert and Heslop. And they come in as a trio and they've pretty much sort of got equal screen time, equal billing and so on. However, after just three appearances, we never see Heslop again. And in a way... Episode 3 of Porridge, you could actually say, is in a way actually the beginning of the story proper. That's the point at which Godber then starts to share Fletcher's cell. And it's almost like the first couple of episodes have been a sort of dry run. I mean, they're really, really good episodes, but in terms of the setup, in terms of the regular characters and so on, it's sort of finding its feet. And then from episode three onwards, we have our two main characters sharing the cell. So yeah, Heslop does appear once more in the final episode of that series, but we never see him again, which is odd considering the fact that he's so prominent in episode one. Last few examples of potential Chuck Cunninghams in UK sitcoms. Are You Being Served went through quite a few cast changes over the years. Um, Usually the departure of a particular staff member was explained. There was no explanation for the departure of Mr. Mash uh, when we then went to Arthur English coming in to replace Lanny Martin. But the other example would be Mr. Grossman, played by Milo Sperber in season 8 in 1981, who is at the time the head of the gents department and then halfway through the series disappears and is never referred to again. Benny Lee comes in to sort of filled that void for those four episodes. But yeah, that's about the only example I can think of in Grace Brothers. One or two others, Liz Smith in Vicar of Dibley as Letitia. She was written out after the Easter special, after season one, but she is actually properly written out with a backstory and what have you. And also Emma Rydell's character in Small Potatoes was present in series one, but not present in series two, which wasn't exactly a reboot, but underwent quite a change in terms of its format. It suddenly lost its audience and went to phony film rather than VT. But yeah, it's a a really fascinating topic, and like I say, I mentioned that TV Tropes website, which I only started reading this afternoon for the first time. So definitely recommend that, tvtropes.org. It's definitely worth having a wee uh, uh, browse on there, and there's all manner of different uh, examples of Chuck Cunningham syndromes on there. But thank you very much, Slapscats. A fantastic question. 
and the other tweet that you sent through as well was about minor secondary characters and sitcoms who are funnier than the leads. And you give the example of Larry, Doug Fisher, in Man About the House, which has been repeated on ITV3 at the moment, and you will see from season one to two that Larry is a sort of ancillary character initially. He's somebody where Robin can sort of say what he couldn't necessarily say to Chrissy and Joey when he needs a a mate's opinion, so to speak. And, of course, then, season two, before we know it, Larry's living in uh, the Roper's attic and is suddenly pretty much an integral member of the the crew, turning into sort of a, a foursome, so to speak. But in order to do justice to that lapsed cat, I think that we'll actually answer that question in the next mailbag because I think that we could have a quite a lengthy conversation about that uh, all by itself. One last thing I'll just throw at yourself, DCT. Any particular shows catching your eye at the moment? I know that when I sent that question to you earlier on, you'd also suggested about minor secondary characters who potentially could have a show of their own and we'll come to that in a future mailbag as well but you were telling me just before we started about such a show which is suddenly turned up after quite a lengthy gap indeed 14 years on now i guess i should say that it is an american sitcom but also it does fall under that slight debate we had a while back about whether Maid Marian and Her Merry Men fell under the children's show or sitcom. I would say it's a sitcom very much in the same way that this is a sitcom. Boy Meets World, starring Ben Savage and Danielle Fischel, who were pretty much the main characters in the original series, are returning as the parents of two young girls, I believe, that's what I've heard, in Girl Meets World. And most of the original cast are returning, even the man who played the voice of Knight Rider, whose name is against me, but the character's called Mr. Feeney. I just like that. I like that as a concept because enough time has passed to make it a completely different sitcom, but for those who grew up with the original series, who may be parents themselves, can now get their child into something they're watching and they've got a connection to that because, yeah, 14 years ago, these characters were in their teens at this point, sort of reaching graduation, I believe. Uh, the characters were. It ran from 93 to 2000 originally. And so, yeah, perfect timing as far as I'm concerned. 14 years later, these characters potentially, if not in long-term relationships, then maybe married and and with children. Uh, the original audience, maybe so. And I think that's worked out just fine. It's on the Disney Channel, if I'm not mistaken, so I don't know if I'm going to get a huge opportunity to uh, see how it works, but apparently the pilot was good enough for it to be picked up for a series to only to return next year year i believe cool grand okay well thank you very much indeed dcc for yourself and your diet coke this evening i'm gonna have a little swig of the uh the pepsico and before i do that i'll say thank you very much indeed for listening i'm sure we're doing all of these mailbags very soon so please tweet us at sitcom club or email us at feedback at sitcomclub.com and yeah let us know about topics you'd like us to discuss any particular shows that you'd like us to touch on i know that we've had requests recently for mulberry and for the detectives both of which we'll be doing quite soon anything else that you want to let us know about at all you can also visit us at sitcomclub.com and yes we shall be back very soon so thank you again for listening and this has been the sitcom club